everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've tuned in. You're going to want to come back at uh, 2 p.m. today to WDET for a special extra hour of Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about unemployment and unemployment insurance, unemployment claims. There are so many people in our community who are facing the loss of work or the reduction of work and unemployment, which is something that lots of people don't ever have cause to think about, is becoming a ubiquitous concern. And so we want to give you an opportunity to ask some experts about how all of this works, how you can get relief, and what kinds of things you should be keeping in mind. So again, 2 to 3 p.m. today right here on 1019 WDET, an extra hour of Detroit today. Up first today, while many parts of the world and our society have been kind of suspended because of the coronavirus, there are a few things that have elevated in importance, and one of them is media literacy. All of us need to be able to figure out how to sift through all of the information on the internet, on television, and the radio to determine credibility and to make sense of the content itself. Think of all of the rumors that we hear about coronavirus. Think of all of the things that have been said that have turned out just not to be true. All of those things are really difficult to make sense of at a time like this when you're also scared and worried and trying to figure out what is coming next, uh, in some cases in the next hour or the next day. Here to tell us more about the role of fact-checking and media literacy in this current moment is Harrison Mantis. He is a reporter for the International Fact-Checking Network who covers the world, wide world of misinformation. Uh, Harrison, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Hey. Thank you for having me on. So first, let's talk about this rampant misinformation out there about the coronavirus. We are seeing it come from a variety of places. One of the things that really worries me is that misinformation right now seems to be coming from sources that you might attribute as credible in normal times. We see doctors uh, saying things that, that don't make a lot of sense in a public health context right now. Uh, talk about the role of misinformation in the pandemic and in this country specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of doctors, one of the things that is important to note is what their specialty is. I really, um, I really always try to advise people to make sure that you're listening to epidemiologists. Um, sometimes doctors just, you know, because they went to medical school will think that they're able to give advice or and the other thing too in the scientific community sometimes there's debate about uh, certain topics and like one of the things we saw was about uh, ibuprofen whether or not it makes coronavirus worse or not there was a big complicated scientific conversation about that which got boiled down to some very simplistic terms and caused a little bit of confusion so I, I really tend to uh, advise people when they're trying to figure out you know if they're getting information from doctors I try to you know, go to the, I mean, honestly, I think most people should just be getting their information in terms of the science of it from the WHO and the CDC. They're really the two most authoritative sources on this. Mm. The, the idea of misinformation, I think, is different from rumor and different from disinformation, I think. Let's, let's try to define some of those terms for our listeners and make yeah, some absolutely. distinctions about, you know, why each of those is important in their own right. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so disinformation, typically when we define disinformation, that means that it's an active attempt by somebody to deceive you. Um, so somebody like a troll or you know, a malicious actor in some way, shape, or form will put out information that they know to be false in order to stir the pot. Misinformation is something where you know, somebody will share it thinking it's true, not realizing it's false, and it's something that will spread like wildfire through, through a social media network. So that's really the, the big distinction between those two things. Uh, it's a presidential election year, and let's talk about the role of political agendas in information campaigns around a particular candidate or issue, but also how that now seems to be bleeding over into the conversation about the coronavirus. It seems to me that that there is politics behind the debate about how we ought to deal with this and the struggle between this idea of elevating public health to the highest priority or elevating the economy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basic. I mean, you, you kind of summed it up pretty well there in terms of, of how the politics play out about this. I mean, it, it basically just depends on what your priorities are here. I mean, if your priorities are the economy, um, then yeah, sure, open everything up. But at the same time, uh, people are going to get sick. It's going to over burden the uh, the medical system and you know you can't really have an economy if you know everyone's at home and uh, everyone's sick um you know the 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 basic thing of this is uh you know the you know it it basically it depends on on worldview that's where we really see the the political breakdown come down to and uh you know if if the if economic growth and that's your priority then then you're going to typically uh promote information that where you see, you know, the, you know, uh, we see the economy being more of a, an emphasis. And if, you know, uh, public health is more of a priority for you, you're going to advise people to stay at home and be a little, bit, a little bit more cautious. It really depends on on your perspective on this. Mm. One of the things that I think uh, is really important about now and what's happening now with not just this pandemic, but what's happening now in media is the sort of infant nature of the technology revolution that information is experiencing. In other words, mm-hmm. five or 10 years ago, all of this looked really different than it does now. I mean, it, it, I think you might you might place the dawn of this particular era with the idea of multiple 24-hour cable news stations. But then, of course, it, it explodes with the internet and the ways in which uh, instant information becomes just a part of our lives. And I, I feel like we haven't had the kind of time that we need to figure out how those tools help us elevate truth as opposed to rumor or lies. And that that makes it a little more difficult right now with something like a pandemic, which really does rely strongly on truth and people being able to get the truth. I mean, it's sort of a... a, a perfect storm of issues and challenges that we have now. I wonder if you can talk some about that that media ecosystem that existed before the coronavirus pandemic started and just how immature it actually is. Yeah, well, one of the things um, the, the Reuters Institute put out a study recently, and it showed that most people um, who are getting their information about the coronavirus are getting it from the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Immediately, I say that, and people start freaking out and thinking, like, "Oh God, people are going to uh, some weird uh, website that's going to give them 
crazy facts. Realistically, what, what they found is that most people, are, the majority of people, and they did this study in six different countries, are getting their information from news websites. And the majority of people really trust scientists on these issues. So that's really, really where people are going for this. Um, in terms of the, the media ecosystem question, um, basically, yeah, what, what we're seeing is that uh, things like rumor and uh, misinformation and uh, people spreading uh, information like this, these are things that were always with us. It's just now we have these tools that allow them to spread a lot quicker. Uh, one of the thing, one of the developments in this uh, in this ecosystem was um, WhatsApp, which is a messaging platform. Uh, they implemented a, a new policy last week, uh, which basically uh, limits how many people you can forward a message to. So after a message has been forwarded five times, you can only forward it to one person at a time. And studies have shown that this can limit the spread of misinformation, not entirely stop it, but slow it, um, sort of the, similar to the way social distancing works. And the idea is, uh, I spoke to some, some researchers in Brazil about this, and the idea is that this will slow down the spread to the point where fact checkers and verifiers can catch up and like quash a rumor or misinformation before it gets too, you know, too far out there in the public. My guest is Harrison Mantis. He's a reporter for the International Fact Checking Network covering the wide world of misinformation. We're talking about the role of information, misinformation, disinformation, rumors and lies during the coronavirus pandemic. Perhaps never in our recent memory have all of those things played a bigger role. Think of the role of information right now as we try to figure out how to stop the spread of the virus, how to stop the mounting deaths. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What has your experience been trying to get reliable and trustworthy information about health, safety, and vital resources during this pandemic? How do you feel our government officials are doing in getting really critical information out to people who need it. Also, give us a call and tell us if you have been the victim of misinformation during the pandemic. Have you seen something or read something or heard something that you thought was true and then later learned that it wasn't? Did you make a decision about something based on information that turned out not to be reliable and have to go back and redo that decision? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation here. Also, give us a call and tell us what you consider to be credible sources of information. Give us an idea of your media diet right now. Where are you finding information that really does help you make decisions about what's going on or react to things? Uh, what, are the, what are the reliable sources that you've been able to find? Let's share some uh, information here that way. Uh, before we get to listeners, uh, Harrison, I wonder if you can put the current context or the current situation in this country with information and misinformation into kind of a global context. Of course, this virus first struck people profoundly in China, which is a society that handles information really, really differently than we do here in the United States. Uh, how, how do we compare, though, in terms of the ways in which we're able to get uh, 
reliable information to people? Well, um, we, uh, we, we don't have a government that's uh, shutting down uh, reliable information. Uh, one of the things that we've seen in China is that the, um, is that the government has very much been trying to control the narrative. Uh, I mean, we saw this from the beginning of the outbreak when, um, when some of the first doctors who were reporting about it uh, were sort of spirited away. Um, we, one of the, I, I talked to some, uh, some researchers um, from uh, the University of Toronto, and they, they, uh, they were looking at uh, the Chinese social media ecosystem. And one of the things that they found is that through keyword filtering, so this is basically this thing that will happen on uh, certain Chinese social media apps where certain keywords are flagged, and then those social media companies will stop that message from being transmitted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that basically, they found evidence that was happening in China. Uh, we don't have that in the United States. We have a pretty good, clean, free flow of information. Uh, the only sort of crackdown that we've seen in the United States in terms of the flow of information, I mean, it's not even really a crackdown. It's basically been, uh, we've seen a couple instances, a few instances of people making threats on social media, and um, threats are not a category of protected speech under the First Amendment. So those people uh, face the consequences of that. But other than that, we have a pretty free-flowing media ecosystem. There's not really a control of the narrative here. Mm -hmm. In a piece you recently wrote on the Pointer Institute's website, you point to efforts here and in Brazil around training citizens to be more media literate. Tell us about what's happening around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, the the two programs I wrote about was here in the United States, um, there's the, uh, the MediaWise Voter Project. They, we trained up uh, at the Pointer Institute. They trained up 11 college students. And the initial idea was that they would go back to their universities and teach people about misinformation around voting with the idea of getting more uh, young people to go to the polls. Um, and then the, uh, the world shut down all at once. So they've been using social media to, to uh, teach people about different techniques in terms of how to fight misinformation. Um, in terms of what some of the techniques, the common ones are reverse image search. So, for example, you see a, an image that says something like, uh, the moon is made of cheese, and uh, for example, something innocuous like that. You can then take that image, put it into Google, and then Google will search by that image, and you'll see that it's from a 1930s French New Wave movie, so it's not an actual hmm. you know, verified uh, scientific photo. So that, those are some of the techniques that, that we, train, we, we train the students here to do, and then they're out spreading that out to on social media and then to their peers. Um, some of them have even been able to speak to some of their classes in, uh, in Zoom meetings, gone into different um, Zoom meetings for their different uh, classes while they're uh, taking school remotely. In Brazil, uh, Agencia Lupa has been training journalists uh, primarily, uh, journalists, um, a lot of them who work in favelas, um, these are the poor neighborhoods in Brazil that don't have great access to um, to uh, reliable sources of information and then uh, rely a lot on that uh, WhatsApp messaging system I was telling you about earlier. And so what they do is they, they've been training up these journalists about how, basically how misinformation spreads, how to verify misinformation, and then that's enabling these journalists to then go out and cover stories that are impacting their communities with an eye to using these tools so that they can knock down this information better. And then even, you know, train their fellow citizens like this is when you see this, this is what you'd look for. And this is how 
you know, this is how it, it impacts people, you know, or this is how you know if it's real or not, and this is what you do. So that's, that's basically what it is. It's sort of you train the trainers, and then they spread the message out to the wider public. Yeah. I, I also wonder if you can talk a little about or a little more about the individual roles that we can have people playing to not just make sure that the information they're getting is true, but that the information they're sharing and spreading is true. So much of what we get now does come from just another person and not necessarily somebody who works for media. What what are some of the steps that people should be taking to, to take care about truth and accuracy in, in information. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you know, those of us who are in a journalistic background, we kind of do this every day. We're, we're, we're professional skeptics. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of easy for us to do this, but I, I basically, I, the thing I advise people is unless it's coming, unless you know, it's coming from the CDC or the WHO, I, I just question it. I, I always question the source of the, of the material. So if it comes from a friend, you like look at where they got their information from. If they got it from a website that you know that um, has a questionable um, uh, URL code, or you know, a lot of times one of the, the dead giveaways. A lot of times, because sometimes what we'll see is uh, websites that look like no, local news websites, but are actually fakes. So one of the dead giveaways is uh, improper grammar. I found a, actually found a, a station. I think it was in Houston, Texas. Uh, where somebody had spoofed their website and the the English was really really bad, mm. and so that was a dead giveaway that that was a fake news site. Um, but yeah, I, I basically the the biggest thing that people can do when they get information um, uh, that you know that they think that they're not sure if it's true or they're bef- before you share it, just make sure you know where it's coming from. You know, it's just that's that's the biggest thing. Like you know, sort of. You know, we like to say, like, you know, uh, know, just know where your information is coming from. you got to make sure that the place that you got it from is an official source, is somebody who is you're getting it from somebody who studies this, who's an authority on this. And those people are epidemiologists or uh, people at the WHO or the CDC. Okay, Harrison Mantis, reporter for the International Fact-Checking Network covering the wide world of misinformation. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to talk with the man behind a viral article about how businesses could gaslight all of us in the wake of COVID-19. You probably have read the story. You will get to talk with the author, Julio Gambuto, next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.